I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. This is week three of our Kira Knightley theme month. And we will be watching the Academy Award winning motion picture, The Duchess. And there's a reason why I call it the Academy Award winning motion picture, The Duchess. It has to do with the fact that it is an Academy Award winning movie. It was nominated for one Oscar and won in its one category, which is costume design. So skip to the end on that one. But I watched the Oscar telecast. This would have been in 2009 for the 2008 awards with Joe Miyasato, who you've met, uh-huh. and my friend Steve Jacob and various other Jacobs. And for some reason, it became an in-joke with us. And I don't know why. I've never seen this movie before, but the movie came up a lot. And the joke was to always refer to it by the extended title of the Academy Award winning movie, The Duchess. Yeah. But that's too long for this podcast. So I will simply refer to the Academy Award winning movie, The Duchess, as The Duchess. Okay. By the way, it was nominated for two. Oh, for two. Yeah. It also had a nomination for... Art direction. Art direction. Okay. Well, yeah. it won the one. It won the one. It was nominated for a second. So, how much did you know about this movie coming into? Well, tonight? I had a, I knew enough about it that I was a little concerned last week when we watched Colette about whether they'd be too similar. And I had toyed in my mind with maybe we should watch the Imitation Game because I definitely wanted to see this because I ha- I have it on DVD but I'd never seen it. And I largely bought it because of the end joke. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was interested in seeing it, and I'm ultimately glad I did. I'm also glad I saw it, though I'm not sure how frequently this I would revisit this yeah. movie. It's, it's an interesting companion piece. It's kind of the flip side of last week's movie, Colette. Kind of. Though it has certain tonal similarities mm-hmm. in terms of independence and things of that nature. Yeah. But would you describe this as a happy movie? Uh, I don't... That's a, kind of a melancholy movie. Yeah, I would should we, agree Should that. we do a brief synopsis of what this movie is about? Yes. The Duchess is a chronicle of the life of 18th century aristocrat Georgina, Duchess of Devonshire, who was reviled for her, her extravagant political and personal life. And also somewhat celebrated for at least some of those things. Devonshire is, of course, another term for Devon, which is a province in the southwest of England... It is right next to Cornwall, which is a little peninsula that juts out furthest into the Atlantic. And it is an area I know for To Serve Them All My Days, which was R.F. Dilderfield novel, and it was turned into a miniseries in right around 1980, which is one of my favorite miniseries of all time. So I have a certain affection for the area, or at least I knew you know, what the area was. Yeah. And uh, this movie, the cast of this movie, we have uh, obviously Kira Knightley as the star and the predominant person on screen throughout this entire movie. Kira Knightley is Georgina, who is the Duchess. Uh, Ralph Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. It's spelled Ralph, but it's pronounced Ray. Ray Fiennes is the Duke. Mm-hmm. Dominic Cooper is Charles Gray. Charlotte Rampling is Lady Spencer. Haley Atwell is Bess Foster or Miss Lady Elizabeth Foster. Simon McBurney is Charles Fox. John Shrapnel is General Gray. I'm not sure we really need to go into those much are, else those on Those are this. our central players and, and really, and then some. This is, I mean, I guess this is one we should probably talk over more or less chronologically, right? Because there's, there's a lot that happens with it. The opening sequence is basically an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. Georgina's mother, the Lady Spencer, negotiates her 
marriage to the Duke of Devonshire, Ray Fiennes. And basically, Ray Fiennes just wants, he wants, uh, he wants an heir. He That's wants really basically he wants. a guarantee of an heir. Yeah. And so she talks up, up the family, oh, well, we never have trouble having kids in our family. You're going to get a safe bet. And they've always had boys at some point. Yeah. You're not going to have any trouble <laughs> obtaining an heir. That they do. So they, they have the wedding. He's, he's cold. He's cold. He's, he's kind of distant. He's not unpleasant necessarily but well i think it's interesting and worth noting just how like at that early stage how georgina is kind of infatuated and she even asked her mother like does he love me yeah the you whole know, idea because she, because she her mother makes this reference like i thought i would keep you with me until 18 at least but with a match like this yeah so she's 16 17 years old at the time this marriage happens and she's naive yeah and expects more out of him and later says to her mother, I thought he'd be like Papa, you know, very reserved on the outside, but when you got to know him, you'd see that there's some depth there. And that we'd have conversations. We'd have conversations, and... but he doesn't talk to me. He's not interested. He's interested in one thing, which is the process of producing the air, which he does in a manner that is not of particular pleasure to her. And uh, eventually she does get pregnant, and it's a girl. And he's very excited for her pregnancy. Yeah. It, it, she goes into labor at, at a, a public event. Again, they're, they're gambling, I think. That's yeah. one of her talents. And then when she goes into labor, he's... He doesn't even wait for her to leave the room. My wife is in labor. I think this calls for a toast. Before she's even left the room. I think I shall have an heir by the end of the night. Yeah. But alas, she has a girl. We then flash forward to six years later... Where she has had a second girl, who, and it's the second girl at this point is at least two. Yeah. And then there's the third slash first, which isn't really hers. It's the Duke's child by a maid that died. Yeah. And that was brought into the household after her death. And the Duke's like, you should, should leave no trouble to you, or in fact, she may do you some good. You can practice your mothering on her. You can practice on her until you produce an heir. Yeah. Yeah. And she will go on to say, I love her like she's my own. Yeah, she takes her in as though she really takes her, her own in. daughter. Yeah. And, yeah. If anything, they have a special bond. Yep. And she is present throughout the rest of the, the movie. And uh, they have certain social obligations. They also have political obligations. The Duke is kind of in the sphere of the Whig Party, which is basically the left of center political party at that time. The Tories being the, the right wing party. And there's that scene at the er, earlier in the film where they're having that dinner party, and the Lord Fox uh, of the Parliament gives this long speech. And afterwards, somebody else is going to give a speech, and the Duke just walks out. And everybody stands and then sits down, and the Duke just stands up. I got to see what's going on. Goes and says, "Is everything fine? Are you okay? Do you want me to come with you?" And he says, "I have no problem with the politics." It's the rhetoric that I can't stand. Yeah. It's like, I was done eating, and so I left. These speeches bore me. And so when she comes back, and Lord Fox is like, is, is he all right? He's like, I hope it was my speech did not tire him. So no. In fact, uh, he said he enjoyed it immensely and expressed the hope that the next time it would be even longer. Yeah. Well, and she has developed quite a friendship with Mr. Fox, mm. which persists throughout the movie. In part because Mr. Fox's future protege is 
Charles, Charles Gray. Gray. Yeah, I blanked on his name for a second. Played by Dominic Cooper, which is another parallel to last week's film, because this film, we got ourselves the Dominic Cooper as the, uh, the aspired for loved one, and last week we had Dominic West as the uh, husband of dubious status who yeah. she outgrows. But Charles Gray, if you remember, was also present at the beginning of the movie when she's out playing in the yard. Mm. He's one of her childhood friends. Uh, they're having a, a, a fake race. They're having a race where they bet on these young men as though they're horses to make this round. And yeah, he, uh, she's bet on him, and he does win. But uh, she is taken away. Uh, your mother needs to see you before they can uh, decide on what he on, owes her. Well, yes, or she owes so you him owe for me something. But what's that going to be? Uh, but he's uh, apparently maintained an infatuation with her since that time. Mm. So at one of these parties, it's actually a premiere of a play play called School for Scoundrel by an author named Sheridan that is apparently loosely based on the Duke. Yeah. And as they're watching the play, Duke is picking up on this and he ain't liking his portrayal on stage. Well, but before that, she encounters Lady Foster in the park one day. No, that they meet at the they meet at the uh, premiere, I'm pretty sure. No, they met in the park. They meet at the park after so they first made it the the uh, premiere, and then later they well, stumble upon each other in the park. She's in the box, and then they meet in in the social gathering afterwards. Well, she was in the box because they'd already become friends. No, so she's in a different box on kind of the other side, and then they have the post party thing, and then Ray Fiennes is hitting on her, and so. Oh, I thought he hit on her at one of the gambling things. Because he asked her to dance. Uh, okay, asked, that um, may be. Asked Lady Foster to dance. Or he sees, let me rephrase that, Georgina sees him ask Bess to dance and goes over and asks what he asked her. And she tells it that he asked her to dance. And then they start to develop a friendship. Says She says she'd like to meet her later. Then they do meet at the they park. They do meet at the park, yeah. And so Somebody when they go to the premiere of the play... Lady Foster is in their box with them because remember the artist is drawing the sketch ah, of the three of them true. in the box. That's true. Yeah. And uh, what was the alternate title of that play? I don't remember. So I was going to call it The Bad Marriage. Yeah. But so she develops this friendship with Lady Foster and then soon discovers that the friendship between Lady Foster and the Duke is more than a friendship. Yeah. Well, I was wondering for a little while whether the friendship between Lady Foster and the Duchess was more than a friendship. It uh, started to border on Colette territory for... It was a very a close while. friendship for a while for until a she while. discovered that mm-hmm. the Duke also had a similar friendship. Because they, they move her into their place because she doesn't have a place to stay because her husband has basically disowned her and taken the three boys she has, and she doesn't think she's ever going to see him again. But it later turns out that part of the reason for the affair that Lady Foster has with the Duke is he promises to get her boys back. And he does, and he's glad to have them around the house, because, man, that man wants an heir. He wants boys. Yeah. His closest companions are those two hunting dogs. Yeah. Like, he's just not interested in the girly stuff. The ladies just... Give me a man that I can go hunting with and be a boring Gus with. But this not to say he dislikes the ladies, because he very much likes the ladies, because he has children by more than one. Yeah. And then this relationship with with Bess turns into a rather unconventional domestic situation. Yeah. 
with her, I mean, even at the breakfast table with them, all this stuff. Obviously, Georgiana objects to a certain extent or takes it as giving her leave to have her own affair. And so she eventually meets up with Charles Gray. And at first they're discreet, but they don't remain discreet. And at one point, Georgina decides to go to Bath without the kids, without the family, ahead of everyone else. Bath being a resort town that they frequent. And they apparently are not being discreet in Bath. So the Duke steps in before things can get out of hand or become too public. And basically tells her, well, before this happens, she has produced the heir. He, uh, one night after a, a confrontation about Bess, he follows her and forces himself upon Georgina in a, I think it's safe to refer to as a grotesque manner. Yeah. It does result in yeah. an heir, but that gives Georgina license, she believes, to pursue, pursue her own affair. So she meets Charles Gray in Bath. They have a, a tryst there for a while, and then the Duke intervenes and tells her, Basically, you either have to pick him and give up everything, including your children. And actually brings her mother with her as a negotiator, because he's figured out what's going on. So brings the mother there as leverage to try to convince the Duchess to break off with Charles Gray. Charles Gray. And they have this conversation between the three of them. And she says, but yes, he, he, he loves me, referring to Charles Gray. And her mother says, and so does William. And the droll line delivery from Ray finds, yes, I love you. We both laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do believe on some level that he loved her, mm-hmm. but not in a conventional manner. Well, they do have or that. Or he wanted to love her, but yeah. the way that he, eventually he comes to realize that the way that he's treated her yeah. has made it difficult for any love to foster. And he has that conversation with her, I think, a l- shortly after the birth of the heir, where he says, Georgina, I too abhor this whole thing. That he doesn't want to put her through this, but he is obligated, he feels obligated to get this male heir. That's when he delivers her the check for having produced the heir. Yeah, yeah. The, the unspecified reward he said that uh, she'd get. But yeah, so Georgina, of course, well, she sleeps on it. She sends him away and says, that's fine, I'm choosing Charles Gray. She doesn't even make it through the night and then realizes the error of her ways, rushes back to London. Eventually does break things off with Charles Gray, then shows up at a public event, just thoroughly intoxicated. And when they take her back out and there's a private confrontation with her and Bess and the Duke, he tell, she tells the Duke that she's pregnant with Charles Gray's child. So she's sent away to the country. And in the moment that starts to redeem Miss Lady Elizabeth Foster, she insists on going with Georgina to the country home until she can give birth to Charles Gray's daughter. The Duke objects, and Miss Foster, Bess Foster, insists and There's goes with her. There's nothing you can say that can stop me. Yeah, and goes with her. An arrangement's been made for the infant to be turned over to the Gray family. And our general, uh, John Shrapnel, our General Gray, meets them for the exchange. And then Georgina returns home. Yeah. Eliza is raised as a cousin. A niece. A niece, yeah, a niece. And after Georgina has gone home, you know, she's been out of circulation for a while. There are certain rumors floating about. And so the Duke says, you know, that so-and-so is having this party 
for your return from your extended vacation. I think we really need to go. Everybody's going to be there. We need to put up a united front. And that does give her an opportunity to have a brief reconnect uh, with uh, Charles Gray, Mm -hmm. who tells her they kind of talk in that stilted way to say things without actually saying them. I have a niece now, and her name is Eliza, and she is very loved. And then it kind of goes back and shows that basically the Duke of Devonshire is a functional polygamist Mm -hmm. until the death of Georgina, after which he marries uh, Lady Lady Elizabeth, Lady Foster, uh, as they talk about in a pretty intriguing, what's the word I'm looking for? Where they put things on the screen about what happens later. Yeah. Those were really interesting. Kind of an epilogue. An epilogue. I'd, I'd, I'd like to look into in more detail kind of what happened uh, to some of these characters. You kind of wonder at what age Georgina died because, I mean, Ray Fiennes as the Duke is significantly older than yeah. Georgina when they marry. In fact, at the beginning, there's that moment where you said he needed to go to see the obstetrician, but when they show his his view of the yard, it seems like he's got cataracts. You know, I thought that too, but later on when she's looking... There's a scene where the Duchess is looking out and it has a similar effect. And I'm not positive if that was meant to communicate some kind of degenerative condition that both of them ended up having, or probably more likely it's just an effect of the way the windows were. Well, but regardless, he's significantly older than she is. is. Yeah. So at what age did she die that he's able to... Still... That he Number one, she he outlived her. Mm. Number two, he remarries you know, and, and has an interest in remarrying, you know, and the things of that nature. It's, it, it, it leaves you with a few questions. Mm. It does tell us in the epilogue that she secretly visited Eliza on a regular basis. And eventually Eliza named her own child, her own daughter, Georgina. And after her. Yeah. Yeah. This was really interesting to see as again, as a companion piece to Colette. These stories are separated by roughly 130 years. And in the Duchess is is about compromise, and she doesn't really get what she wants. Whereas in Colette, she she, she does. In the end, she's able to break break free. Is yeah. at that point she was able to break free of the social constraints in the early twentieth century, but in the late eighteenth century, especially for women of position, that just that was not a doable thing. Yeah. So again, the costuming is, is a great looking film. The costuming's oh, yeah. great. The sets, the the locations, some of these these beautiful houses, period houses. Some of the lighting's great. They do a lot of interesting stuff with candles. Yeah. I actually found myself kind of liking the score. Still kind of running in the background of my head. It might be one is that to, way you let it play through the credits. Yeah, yeah. It might be one that I I find online and, and listen to a little bit more. Yeah. Something. I really didn't know that much about it. My impression actually was, and there's a little bit of this at the beginning of the film where they talk about her designing. There's going to be more about her becoming like a fashion designer. Well, which again is referred, touched on. At one point they refer to her as the empress of fashion. That's true. So she does become a fashion designer, but that's really a just kind of a side thing that happens in the film. It's, it's not the focus. No, not at all. It's it's only b- briefly touched on, and it's more through implication than anything direct. Yeah. She'll wear the, something, and then people will copy it, yeah. basically. I think the most direct thing that she said is about it that she says is that one 
public event they're at and she says, I know people are going to ask about the feathers in my hat. Nice. I'm only aware of two specimens of it ever being there. One is a lot is on my hat and the other one is, is seeking office in the Tory party. Yeah. So she does become long, long before women could vote long before most men could vote a celebrity campaign spokeswoman. Well, and she is engaging in conversations with Mr. Fox about those types of topics. Like he's talking about freedom and she says, well, how far does your freedom extend? And he says, how did he phrase it? Freedom and moderation. Yeah. And she says, well, you can't have one without the other. You know, she says you can't be moderately dead. You know, you can't have moderate. Would you have everyone have every man the right to vote? Well, not every man, but more men. More men than currently have it. Freedom and moderation. Yeah. It was interesting. You can see some parallels to, to modern things or com- at least things through the mid 19th or, you know, mid 20th century. At that one particular rally, how everyone was wearing blue and you had the celebrity spokesperson and they're going to crush the glass ceiling and we're going to wet. Yes, we can it. And I couldn't help but think of democratic politics of the early 21st century. Yeah. What what other thoughts do you have on this movie? I think the performances are great. Keira Knightley is pretty consistent throughout it. I liked... Here's a question. I think Kaylee Atwell was more subtle, though. She was more subtle, yeah. And this was fairly early for her. And also for Miss Knightley, it had only been around 22 at the time this movie came out. Yeah. I liked Ray Fiennes. I I liked his dryness. Uh, I liked him to a certain extent, but his in-character is not intended to be like. He's not intended to be like... And I kind of liked the husband in the last film, both of these characters to an extent. Like, they weren't irredeemable. I didn't hate them. Yeah. They were something intriguing about them. And that runs to the question of which was the worst husband? Hmm. I would say the Duke was, right, you know, in this movie. Yeah. He was the worst husband. Because the husband in Colette, there are times in which he would have been fun. He was, he was often fun. He also accepted her whims yeah. and never forced himself on yeah. This guy was less, in, in certain ways, like, he was reactively, he was reactive as opposed to proactive in his awfulness. So when he did something awful, it was a response to something. Whereas the other husband just kind of did something awful for no good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how this movie fared in the box office? Let's find out. This had an estimated budget of 13.5 million, million euros. It had a domestic opening weekend of just $190,000. In the U.S. and Canada, it grossed a little over, just under $14 million, And its worldwide gross was $43 million. So this came out in 2008 when I, the one time I traveled to the U.K. in 2012, the exchange rate was about... A euro was worth about a dollar fifty. So, if it made forty three point well forty three point three million off a of thirteen point five million, so that would be roughly twenty million dollar budget, something like that. Yeah. And then it made a little more than twice that. Yeah. It's decent, especially for a film that is kind of niche. And you know, those costumes wouldn't have come cheap. Oh no, no, some of those costumes would have been really expensive. The critical reaction to this film was kind of mixed. Yep. Garnering a Rotten Tomato score of 62% and audience score of 67. Yeah, and it has an aggregate score on IMDb of 6.9 stars. 
So not super well-received, which I guess leads to how would you rate this film? I liked it. I would probably, I'd give it three stars, and I think I'd give it a seven, maybe an eight on the yeah. ten-star scale. I, we're, we're close on the ten-star scale, a little bit further apart on the four-star scale. I think uh -huh. I'd only give it two. This is one that is borderline on that two and a half, if, you know, if, I, if and when I give half stars. But it, I don't think it quite raises to a three-star level oh, for me. Right. And I would probably, I'm kind of between a six and a seven on the ten-star scale. Mm. So, so I liked it a little more than you. Yeah. Again, I'm glad I saw it. It's one that I'd been, I was aware of, you know, had some interest in seeing. I'm glad that I, I did see it. Again, I don't know that I would describe this as a happy film. So, again, I'm not sure how frequently I'd revisit it. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot about her life that was super pleasant and happy for her outside of that short period when she had the daughter's before more pressure came back for the air, yeah. things of that nature. And we also learned that in that time she had several other pregnancies that two males still well. births. Yeah. So I mean it it never was exactly a particularly happy time for her in her life. You know, she never yeah. From the time that she got married on it was you know, fits and spurts and things. It would almost be interesting to see something. I guess you'd probably have to do this. I could see the BBC doing it as like a mini series, but those later years I think would be interesting to see how they made it work. Cause according to the little text at the end, they did. And they even said that when she died and the Duke remarried, it was with her, the, the yeah. she had given her, her blessing to it ahead of time. It's yeah. like, when I die, go ahead and marry. Yeah. Well, and their friends, their children were clearly friends, uh, and Bess was friendly with their children and things of that nature. Mm. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this? I think we've said what we have to say. Okay. I'm Rob. I'm Nate. This is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. I would say, though, between this and Colette, and she did a version of Anna Karenina, uh -huh. she made a Justified Adultery Trilogy. Uh, what's the other one that's, there's another one that you could throw into that that might be, I don't know, I'm blanking on the name of it, the one with, with Sigmund Freud. Oh, the, uh, I've seen that. A Dangerous Method. Yeah. Have you seen that? Not yet. It's on my list. Different. Well, we gotta have a good outtake at some point. Actually, mm. I guess we don't have to have a good outtake. Yeah. That's. I was hoping that the adultery trilogy would be a sufficient outtake, but I don't. I don't. You know, know. adultery trilogy. Is, <laughs> yeah. The justifiable. I figured you would want trilogy. the adultery trilogy had removed. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to think through how what else I want to say. The thoughts are not formulating yet. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know what to talk about. Indeed. Yeah. Which will also not make the outtake. Yes. Uh, I think our levels are fine. Indeed. Okay, you ready? <coughs> that would be a no. I suppose I'm a go. <coughs> but you're not yet.